The Old Testament lesson is from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for Christ, I invite you to rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Jesus meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus and ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, as I was welcoming you, we will be continuing the sermon series entitled, Who Am I? or Who, we are, Who Are We? which is based upon Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, in chapters 1 and 2, of Ephesians, St. Paul has tilled the soil. He has laid a solid foundation for our understanding of who we are in Christ. In Christ, we are saints. 
In Christ, we are the faithful. In Christ, we are the chosen ones. In Christ, we are emancipated people. In Christ, we are the redeemed and the forgiven. In Christ, we are heir to everlasting life. God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And this is not of ourselves, it's God's gift to us in Christ. And so, last week, we heard that in Christ, we are citizens, citizens in the kingdom of God. In Christ, we are the children in the family of God. And in Christ, we are the church of God. God's long-held secret is revealed with the advent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Oh, this long-held secret had been foretold in the Old Testament lesson, but the secret was fully revealed on Pentecost Day. And the mystery is this. Paul says, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So now, considering all of these realities, all of these truths, St. Paul breaks out in a euphoric prayer. Many scholars claim that this section of Paul's letter is, is the climax of this letter, and they're no doubt correct in their assessment. I invite you to follow along in your bulletin as I read this prayer, St. Paul's prayer, not only for the people of Ephesus, but also it's his prayer for you and for me. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever Amen. Let's look at each one of these different petitions that Paul speaks in this prayer. He begins this prayer by saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. You see, whether we are Jew or Gentile, in Christ God is our Father. Every family is named after the Father. St. Paul uses an interesting word there when he talks about the family. He uses patria, which was a Greek word that emphasized the fact that we all came from a common ancestor, that we were all connected by one person to a certain tribe. And so St. Paul is saying, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, in Christ, because we are forgiven in Christ, we can all trace our lineage back to 
our Father. So, you might be a Schaefer with one F or maybe two Fs. You might be a Schmidt, a Mueller, a McIntosh, an O'Sullivan. You might be a Patterson or an Anderson or an Arado or a Kai or a Bibby or a Choi or a Chang or a Lee. You might be a Yamamoto or a Suzuki or a Abdullah or Azaz or Petrov or Volchkov or Shevchenko. You might be a Hoffman, a Goldman, a Lieberman. But when you're in Christ, you're all members of the same family of God. We all have the same Father and Savior who is Jesus Christ. This means that in Christ Jesus, we all have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. No believers are foreigners or aliens or second-class citizens in God's family, in God's kingdom, in his as citizens in that kingdom. We have the same Savior. We have the same forgiveness. We have the same Holy Spirit living in us. We have the same possession of everlasting life. And so in this prayer... Paul prays for you, and the you is plural. He's not praying singularly. He's praying for you, the collective body, the collective family of God in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's first petition for us is this. It's read, and you'll find it in verses 16 through 17a. His first petition is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we have heard that according to the riches of God's mercy, he made us alive in Christ. And now in these words, St. Paul prays that according to the riches of God's glory, He strengthens us with his power through his spirit in our inner being. Even though we have been made alive with Christ through holy baptism, we need daily and regular renewal. Our physical body, as you all well know, is ever deteriorating. It doesn't improve with age, does it? In fact, as we age, it just gives us more and more problems. Our soul is ever being attacked by our sinful desires, by the temptations of this world, by the assaults of the devil. And under such conditions, we find ourselves becoming discouraged and frustrated and overwhelmed. So St. Paul prays. He prays for the Holy Spirit to renew and strengthen our inner soul, so that Christ may continue to dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice he doesn't pray that we would have more power to improve our standing with others. Notice he doesn't pray that we would be able to get more of what we want in life. No, he prays that Christ would dwell within us through faith. He prays that Christ would permanently dwell in us through faith. There are two Greek words that Paul could have used for the word dwell in verse 17. One word means to inhabit as a guest. It's kind of like when we stay in a hotel room. 
you know, we sign in for maybe an evening or two or maybe, maybe a week, but we're only there temporarily. We may not even unpack our suitcase and get settled, and we certainly don't think about remodeling the place. But you see, that's not the word that Paul uses in Ephesians here. Instead, Paul uses a word to dwell, meaning to take up permanent residence, to settle into, to settle down, to stake his claim on us. And now Paul is praying that our inner being will be so strengthened that Christ may settle down and live in us through faith. And if Christ lives within us, if he is the center of our being, the core of our being, then we are assured that in Christ our sins are forgiven. And transformation, the renewing of that new man, is ever possible. It's important that we see how Christ dwells in us through faith. You know, it's not the result of some self-improvement program. I will not give you the three principles of how it is that you might know the Holy Spirit will live in you or how you can make your home clean for him to enter you. That's not how it works. St. Paul prays in verse 16 that it's according to the riches of God's glory and it's through the Holy Spirit. And so make no mistake, this ongoing renewing and refurbishing of our inner being is something that the Spirit of the Lord does in us. And it's based on the glorious riches of Jesus Christ secured by him on Calvary. And what Jesus did for us on that cross on Easter Sunday with his resurrection from the dead is more than enough not only to save us, to change us, to be renewed in the image of the knowledge of our Creator, as Paul puts it to the Colossian Christians. And this power comes not from within us, but it comes from the glorious riches of Christ that are applied to us through the Holy Spirit. And these glorious riches were first applied to so many of us when we were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these riches are applied to us again and again as we meditate upon his word here in this sanctuary as we pick up his word, the scriptures, and read it at home and meditate upon it. And this richness of his grace and this dwelling in us occurs as we come to the Lord's table and we eat the very body and blood of Christ that was poured out for us on Calvary. We literally take Christ within us and he assures us that our sins are forgiven. And so you see, when we are in Christ, Paul says that Christ is truly in us. He, ab he abides with us. He dwells with us. And that's his prayer for you. The second petition that Paul has for us is this, stated in the second part of verse 17 and then verse 18, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. St. Paul does something that a orator is never supposed to do, and that is he mixes his metaphors. He prays that we would be both rooted and grounded in God's love. He uses the same metaphors in his letter to the Colossians when he writes, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up 
in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thankfulness. Rooted, of course, is a biological metaphor. And St. Paul is praying that we would grow roots that are so deep into the soil of God's love that they can't be pulled out no matter what happens. You see, being rooted in God's love prevents us from wilting under the heat of the world and the humidity of our sinfulness. In the last week or two, as I've been going around and visiting with various members, I've been sharing with them Psalm 32. And I did it intentionally because Psalm 32 talks about the heat of summer. Listen to these words. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Who of us can't relate to that image? I think the image that comes to my mind is the image of flowers that are wilting under the heat and the humidity, and they need a good drink of water. I think of the other day when Sandra and I were walking downtown, and it was so hot and humid, and I was sweating, and my shirt was just blanketed with sweat dripping with sweat even. And boy, did I long for, to be able to enter back into our home and enjoy the air conditioning and a good drink of water. That's how it is as we live out our life oftentimes. We go through our life and the heat of this world, the problems, the worries, the fears, the anxieties that we have, the grief, they overwhelm us. It's like it beats down on us. And we grow exhausted, we grow wearied, we grow tired, and we need to drink deeply of the love and the forgiveness of God that he reveals to us in Christ and is given and delivered to us through his word. Like the psalmist, we're overcome sometimes by our sin. We're wearied by it. And we, instead of sharing it and openly confessing it to God, we internalize it. That's what the psalmist did. He kept silent and his bones wasted away through his groaning all day long. And he felt the heavy hand of the Lord, and it was like all of the energy was just being sapped out of him, like in the heat of a summer night. But when he confessed his sins, that burden was lifted off of him. And he was rooted and anchored in God's love. And when he was rooted and anchored in God's love, it was like these nutrients from God's love refreshed him and renewed his soul. But not only does St. Paul pray that we would be rooted in God's love, but he prays that we would be grounded or established in God's love. And that's a building metaphor. He's talking about a strong foundation anchored in the rocks of God's love. St. Paul has used that image before in chapter 2. There he said, So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. 
And so he prays that we would be grounded, anchored in that rock so that when the winds of this world come and they toss us here and there to and fro, that we're able to withstand those problems and we remain anchored in God's love. And so Paul prays that you and I would be rooted in God's love, anchored, grounded in God's love, building our lives upon that sure and certain foundation which is the word of God, the writings of the prophets and the apostles, with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He prays that we would be rooted and grounded in God's sacrificial love, a love so great that he sacrificed himself on a cross for us. And so then Paul prays that we would all comprehend, that we would grasp, that we would perceive the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, every dimension of the love that God has for us in Christ. Can we really begin to understand the love that God the Father has for us? Can we grasp how complete and full Christ our Savior's love is for you and me? Probably not. But you know what? God gives us a lifetime of studying his love letter to us, the Holy Scriptures, so that we might begin to grasp the love that he has for us. And he, and he gives us a lifetime to be able to gaze upon Christ who died on that cross for us and to contemplate and take it all in, a love so great that he was willing to die for us, to experience the wrath of his Father for our sin. He gives us the opportunity to gaze upon that empty tomb and realize that in Christ we're victorious over the grave, that eternal life is ours. And he assures us that we have a whole eternity with him to try to understand and comprehend the love that God has for us. He prays that we would grasp the inexpressible riches of God's grace and the love in Christ Jesus, not only with our head, but with our heart as well. How often do we hear a child say to her parent, do you love me? A child often will ask that question of their parent when they especially feel like they've done something naughty. Or maybe when they realize that they're in conflict with their parent. Do you love me? And is this not also true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ? The problems arise, the trials take, a, take upon us, there's tribulations, there's our own moral failures. The list could go on and on, and as we live out our life in this sinful world, struggling with our own sinful flesh, we may wonder, Father, Savior, do you really love me? I know it in my head, but I don't feel it in my heart. And Paul's prayer is that you would indeed know, in your head and in your heart, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love that God has for you. There is no other love in this universe like our God's love, our Savior's love for us. Paul's third petition for us is this, 
verse 19. That you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. St. Paul prays that the people in Ephesus, the people of God in Ephesus, would continually mature in their faith. You see, so many problems occur in our life because of the immaturity of our faith, often due because of the biblical illiteracy that we suffer from. He prays that we would be mature in our faith so that we might be able to work together as partners in the gospel. And we know from our previous sermons that this congregation was going through struggles, that they were really in dissension with one another, and Paul is stressing unity, reconciliation. And he understands that problems arise in churches because of the immaturity of people's faith. He speaks about this maturing of the faith later on in, in chapter 4, and actually we'll look at this text next week. So I'm just going to read it to you now, and we'll unpack it next week. But Paul says in chapter 4, he says, And God gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's Paul's prayer for you. That's Paul's prayer for me. That we would grow up in our faith as God works in our life through his word. As I mentioned, I'll talk a lot more about that next week, so I'll go on. Paul concludes this prayer with a doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God can do far more abundantly. Notice how he emphasizes that. Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We can't out-ask God. We can't out-think God. As I mentioned before, we can't even be really begin to comprehend the love that God has for us. And certainly not apart from Christ. But God is able to do far more abundantly all than we ask or think according to the power at work that is within us. And to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Friends in Christ, that's Paul's prayer for you. His prayer for you is that you would continue to, well, 
that you would continue to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ might truly dwell in your hearts through faith, that he might permanently dwell there. He prays that you would be rooted and grounded in God's love so that you might comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the width width of the love that Christ has for you. He prays that you would indeed mature, that you would continue to grow up in your faith, all for the purpose of giving him the honor and the glory. And so it is to his name and in his name that we give him all honor, glory, and praise. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.